Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Emir Nurov, founder of Resync Technologies. Emir, I'm so happy that you're here today. We're doing a special focus on Singapore-based entrepreneurs. We had your ex-colleague, Sujay Malve, on the podcast last year. And I know there are many of you doing wonderful work out of Singapore, especially companies building smart technologies. Thanks a lot, Sanjoy. I'm really happy to be here and you know share my experience with everyone and i really appreciate the job that you are doing and happy to share as much as i can thank you very much we'll have a wonderful discussion today we'll start by what i said earlier that you're building the smart technology i think it'll be just useful for our audience to get a quick overview of the technology and what it does for customers sure let me start from background where we're coming from as you probably aware the whole energy infrastructure is going through transformation and this transformation is mainly driven by a few factors like digitalization of entire ecosystem internet access almost everywhere smart meters iot devices and of course implementation of renewable energy sources and what we do at resync we provide intelligent energy management solutions for the enterprises we help our customers to digitalize their asset to take control of their asset and make sure that they save on their energy usages and they save on their electricity bill. That's a very nice summary. And that just provides me the perfect setting to get down into a little bit of specific applications that, that you have. I know you have a range of applications and we'll talk about a few of them. Let's start by perhaps the most important application that you have, intelligent building systems. So at Resync, we provide intelligent energy management solutions for various domains. One of those domains, and as you mentioned for us, is smart intelligent building solutions. Intelligent building solutions is one of the important products that we offer to the market. We work with real estate companies, we work with hospitals, we work with university campuses, where we help them to digitalize their distributed energy assets, be it a consumption or generation assets within their buildings. We help their facilities to adopt the digital technology to make sure that they can track in real time, they can take control actions of the assets and they can deliver certain savings and efficiency improvements to the building performance. But at the same time, as you probably aware, aligned Green Plan 2030 in Singapore, most of the buildings have to comply to the Green Mark certification. And one of the ways to comply to that is to install solutions uh, that Resync provides where we help our customers to reduce their carbon footprint and comply with the local regulations for the Green Mark certification. So let me make sure I understand this. You said it helps building owners to take control of all the generating renewable energy assets in your own campus, which could include you know, solar solutions, I suppose, or and all-consuming sort of points, right? Yes. So let me elaborate maybe um, as an example of one of our customers. We have a university campus which consists of more than 150 buildings on campus. Some of the buildings are equipped with renewable energy assets on their rooftops, which are generation assets. And of course, each of the buildings consumes electricity. So some of the buildings are equipped with the building management systems, which are already aggregating various distributed energy asset data like you know, HVAC systems, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, some of the sensors like indoor air quality, um, occupancy sensors, and of course, some of the sub-meters where they analyze what are the you know, energy consumption in specific zones or in the specific rooms. 
but what we help them to do to synchronize their renewable energy assets, which are installed on their rooftops, and consumption assets, which uh, they are monitoring, like you know, HVAC systems, sensors, and etc., and understand how each of them can be affecting each other. So, for example, if you have a building which occupancy of the building is 250 people, but on a specific day there's only 100 people who came to the to the office. So, by understanding the occupancy, we don't really need to keep certain temperature of the HVAC system in the building. We can either increase it or, you know, depending on the comfort level of the or comfort preference of the uh, people within the building. But increasing that can depend on a few factors. Of course, one of them is occupancy, but second thing is an indoor air quality. Considering all those factors, our device or and our analytics solution will basically propose to the end user, but at the same time, take automated control actions. So some of the non-critical actions will be taken directly by our solution, or some of the actions where the, you know, the opinion of the facility guys is required will be proposed to them by our solution. Excellent. So in this particular example, there are legacy BMS systems, building management systems, which are collecting data. Yeah. What your system is doing is sitting on top of that, sort of aggregating the data collected from various systems and allowing people to take decisions. Some of these decisions are automated and some of these decisions are uh, escalated for management action is kind of what I'm understanding, is that correct? Exactly, so we don't really replace the BMS. We either come on top of the BMS where we're adding additional value. As you mentioned, we help customers to take additional control actions, which will enable them to do the energy efficiency or to achieve certain carbon footprint reduction. But at the same time, if the building doesn't have the BMS, we act like a mini BMS. We aggregate the data from all the distributed assets and we also take control actions on them. That's very well understood. But is this system of yours also help companies at least get an estimate of scope one and scope two emissions? Yes, it's more of a compliance requirements, which is, I think it's a good initiative from the Singapore government and from BCA, which basically helping or pushing, I would say, energy efficiency and carbon reduction into the market. And now people becoming more and more aware about how important the carbon emissions are and that we need to reduce those. In terms of racing solution, we help customers to understand what's happening with their system, uh, to break it down into details. And of course, we help customers to track their carbon targets. So if they have certain internal targets that they would like to achieve in terms of energy efficiency, in terms of the carbon emission, so we help them on a day-to-day -day tracking whether they really on track to comply with those regulations, whether internal or whether it's um, external regulations, and what can be done additionally in order to comply with those regulations. Great. This is wonderful. And maybe we can go over to the one more application just to understand. I know that this core technology that you have developed and described earlier is also used in for uh, management distributed renewable energy assets also, right? Could you just help us understand the application there? Yes, so one more solution that we provide is a microgrid management solution where we help our customers, mainly who are the IPPs or independent power producers or EPC companies, engineering procurement construction companies, solar developers, or OM companies who are managing renewable assets. We help them to analyze their solar assets or renewable, any kind of renewable energy asset 
up to the component level details. So we don't just tell them, hey, this is your performance in terms of generation, and this is how much you generated. We dive up to the specific MPPT level. From MPPT level, we dive into the string level details. We help them to do the IV analysis. We help them to do the trend analysis. We see whether there is any certain degradation that is happening on site that need to be taken care of. We help them to take control actions if required. So for example, in some markets, backfeeding of the excess energy is prohibited. So we provide grid nil export solutions where our basically solution in real time manages the demand and the available solar uh, generation. And then if demand suddenly drops, but there is excess energy solar, it will be curtailed by our solution in a real time manner. Another way of application, we help some of the customers to, for example, in India, there are some solar assets that are connected to the grid, um, but the grid is very unstable. And sometimes it, uh, there are grid outages that are happening on the site. But the customers that we serve are 24 seven factories. So they can't afford any energy disruption on their side. Once the grid goes off, they turn on their diesel generators. Um, but synchronizing solar with diesel generators is another challenge because when you have excess of the solar, it can't really backfeed to the diesel generator. If it does, it will trigger reverse power flow protection and the entire plant will be down. So in order to avoid those situations, our solution does a PVDG synchronization. So we in real time analyze what is the state of diesel generator, what is state of the solar generation and what is state of the energy demand from the factory and synchronize those three nodes in order to ensure the stable and smooth electricity supply to the site. Great. I'll dive down a little bit into these examples sure. that you gave just to make sure I, we understand that. I mean, you gave the example of the factory, but I suppose one of your customers would be a grid-connected solar plant, right? Or a grid-connected wind farm, right? Yeah. Now, say in the case of a grid-connected solar farm, what I found interesting is that you provide diagnostics and performance data at the component level, right? Which means that you'll be able to say, okay, these inverters in this string are not performing as well as these inverters in that string. Is that the sort of one of the yes. applications? Yes, exactly. So we don't really tell them, oh, your solar performance at this site is this much, and then try to analyze based on that details. We dive, as I said, up to the component details. So we tell them, oh, your solar plant consists of 15 inverters. Each inverter consists of 12 strings. And then we can compare specific strings. We do the heat map analysis. We understand what is the performance in real time or in a specific time range of those strings and whether they're up to the standards, whether they have, they're performing as per expected or whether they're uh, going through the degradation. And whether that degradation is within the allowed degradation uh, limit or is it requires ex external attention of the facility team. So all these details are monitored and analyzed in real time. And those details, we call predictive maintenance. And then we basically uh, have a facility tool within our solution where you can create your organizational chart, onboard all your ground engineers, managers, and you know they will track what's going on, what's happening, whether additional manpower needs to be sent on site, and etc. Arrange the tickets based on the alarms and alerts that our system generates. Got it. Obviously, this application that you have described would be very useful for the developer because the developer is going to get paid on the amount of electricity produced. So, he developer is very conscious about that. It'll be very important for the OM organization. But you also mentioned that you have services for the EPC players, right? The people who develop the project. I'm not yet very clear as to how the solution helps the EPC players. Yeah, let me just break it down in terms of value proposition for different stakeholders, right? 
So I think they're quite clear in terms of O&M companies and the value proposition is mainly on a predictive maintenance on maintaining the, the health of the site. For the EPC players, they manage different sites. And for different sites, they have different assets on different capacity and with different uh, components. So they have, for example, ABB inverters on one side. On another side, they have uh, Huawei inverters. On one side, they have solar panels like REC solar, maybe. On another side, they have Adani solar panels. So for them, it's really important to compare different site performances, right? And understand what is expected performance from specific site configurations, right? So for example, if they have this type of brands involved, if they have this capacity, if they have the site deployed in this area and in a, you know, in a North India and in a, in a South India, what are the different expectations from the sites? So those are the details and value proposition that we provide to our EPCs as well. And in terms of the developers, of course, it's important for them to understand whenever they invest, whenever they develop a site, how it performs on a longer run, what type of expectation, whether their EPCs and their O&M companies that they you know, manage their, their sites are doing their job very well, or whether they have to take certain actions on them. Right. So I think the, the value proposition to the developer and the O&M company was clear from, from right from the start. But the EPC value proposition is also very interesting. What EPC can do, because EPCs don't do just one project, they have multiple of projects at different scale with different brands involved. So they decide which brands they want to use on, you know, on which sites. And within the existing sites, they can do comparisons. It's really important for them to understand, okay, when... For example, in order for me to, to use cheaper solar panels, but what will be the expectation of those solar panels? If I'm using, for example, local inverter brands, what are the expectations from those inverter brands? What are the issues that I'm facing with that local brands? And how I can compare that brand to you know, external brands, or for example, compare two or three different brands to each other and see, see what type of issues that arise in the past one year, uh, how they have been resolved, and what was the performances expected and the actuals and that's what epcs are really interested in got it so it means just getting the data to be able to make decisions on plant configuration exactly exactly and also one of the trends that we see in the market at the moment is that a lot of epcs are having internal onm teams so they basically also take the onm contracts after they do the epc so it becomes really important for them to understand even component level details and performance analysis of the site Okay, you've already obviously started talking about customers that you have, and you mentioned you know customers in India uh, with distributed solar assets, sort of solar rooftops with these sets. But I assume that you have customers across the ASEAN region with who are running IPPs or EPCs. So could you just tell us a little bit about customers in this particular application? Yeah, sure. So we are headquartered in Singapore. But we serve customers across different markets. So we have customers in India, in Indonesia, in Thailand, in Malaysia. We just recently started working with some Middle East companies in United Arab Emirates and in Turkey. So we have, as I said, various customers that are using our solution. We, we work with real estate companies. We work with some of the universities. We work with energy corporates or utility providers where we offer them a different type of the solution depending on their needs. So for microgrids, of course, we have some solar sites, which are hybrid systems or on-grid systems in India. We have some off-grid systems in the islanded areas in Indonesia. And we have some you know, utility scale solutions in Malaysia. 
Great. We also discussed earlier on that you have a smart home solution. Yes. Perhaps time to that application as well. Sure. You know, one of the common things that most of the people who are living in a household have is that at the end of the month, we receive our electricity bills. And the only thing that we see in that electricity bill is that kilowatt hours, the price per kilowatt hour, and the total amount that we owe to the utilities or retailers. And not a lot of people really think about what can be done with my utility bill? Like where the difference month to month difference coming from? And how can I dive deeper and understand more in depth, like where I'm consuming my energy, uh, which of the assets within my house consumes the most and et cetera. In order to be able to do that, they need to install a lot of sub-sensors. So they need to put a sensor on their heaters, on their washing machines, on their air conditioning units, which become very, very costly. And not a lot of people, you know, happy to invest that amount of money upfront. Um, what we came up with, it's called NLM, non-intrusive load monitoring. So how can we break down energy asset without installing any additional hardware? Purely by reading the energy meter data, which is reading the entire house. Our data science team have developed the machine learning models where we help customers to disaggregate the energy usages within their household without installing any additional hardware. And Early last year, we were part of the Channel New Asia documentary called Climate Change Weak Problem. So in Singapore, we have installed that solution in few housing, public houses, and in few uh, condominiums, and run it for eight weeks and showcased to the customer how their energy usages are, which of the assets in terms of air conditioning, washing machine, or microwave, or the you know water heaters been used and at what capacity, and give the full breakdown and awareness of the energy consumption. And then at the end of the eight month, which basically roughly one and a half, two months, we saw the difference in terms of the energy usage. So we compared the previous three month bill to the latest month bill, and we saw 25% to 45% energy savings, which was amazing. And those are savings are done without any control actions. It's purely by raising the awareness how the energy consumption is within the household. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, just a number, you know, it almost threw me off my chair. Now, but I was also amazed by the way you described it. Purely reading a high level number, aggregated from various devices, running at various times, you were able to disintegrate that and you know, arrive at some uh, logical conclusions by using machine learning software. Did I hear that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so I'm we, really curious to know more about this. Sure, so we use machine learning models, which we develop in-house, as I mentioned, uh, in order to analyze the data that we receive from the energy meters and then disaggregate it. So it's called disaggregation models, where we basically train our models based on, uh, you know, we know what is uh, patterns of the, air conditioning units, we know the patterns of the microwaves, we know the patterns of washing machines and etc. So we have all that labeled data within our databases. Based on that, we train our models and when we, when we come and install it at any households, we already know how, what type of patterns are generated at what time and we can disaggregate it into different assets, which basically, it's not an easy job, but it's very, very valuable job for end customer. Incredibly valuable. So using machine learning software, you have developed these modules to be able to understand 
based on this end user device, what type of energy consumption pattern is likely to be, and then seeing the data coming in, you know, and knowing the devices connected in that particular house, you will be able to analyze. And then the control action will be taken by the house person staying in the house. Is it? Yes, you are right. Because every household that they have very specific preferences. So some people like to use the air conditioning units at 19 degrees. Some people you like to use it at 22 degrees, some at 25. So taking control actions uh, on all of them will be slightly difficult. But what we can do, as I said, using notifications through our smart home app, we basically tell our end users whether they're overusing their certain assets, whether there is a room for improvement and how much they can save if they you know, reduce usage of certain assets. But in order to give them those notifications, we need to know what assets they're using. And that's where our machine learning models come. We basically help them to disaggregate at what time, for how long, and uh, for how much they have been using specific assets. And how we do it, as I earlier shared, we have historical data and we know the patterns of those data. We call it labeled data. And based on the labeled data, we trained our algorithms and we can disaggregate um, based on our trained machine learning models, uh, new households accordingly. Okay, great, wonderful. And you'd obviously not want to take this uh, in a door-to-door, right? You'd try and figure out some aggregation model of taking it to the end consumer, right? What type of aggregation models are you thinking? So we don't really go uh, and knock every door of the end customer or every household. We work with utility providers or we work with retailers. We showcase them the value proposition that we, our solution can bring to the households. And through them, we basically try to integrate our solution within their mobile apps. Or we can separately go ourselves as well. And then we distribute to the scale of the household. Because they already collect uh, energy usage data from those households, right? Because they have their own energy meters installed there. So from our end, we don't really need even to go and install any hardware. We just use that data, disaggregate it, and provide the data to the households. Connecting the utilities is perhaps an you know, interesting model of entering. And I, I don't know whether you heard this, but we had in our previous podcast, uh, Lekha, who is building business in Singapore of monitoring HVAC data. And her company is also partnering with utilities in the region. And I think she had made a very interesting point in the podcast. The utilities are in order to be competitive, are very keen to push this energy efficiency solution that leads in the ASEAN market. It may sound ironic, but yes, energy efficiency solutions reduce the energy usage. So basically, which supposed to be bad for the utility providers, because that means less of the energy that they sell to the end customers. But as you mentioned, to be able to stay competitive in the market, to be able to attract more users or retain the same use. They need to provide this type of features because nowadays end customers, be it a household, be it a business owners or real estate owners, they would like to know their energy use. They would like to understand. They, they are not happy with just electricity bills anymore. They want to understand the details. They want to have real-time values. They want to be able to save their energy use. That's how the market is moving nowadays. That's, I would say it's, it's very, very nice to see. But there's still a lot of room for the improvement in order to educate the market, to raise the awareness and ensure that, you know, everyone is aware and everyone is able to, to save their energy and reduce, of course, their carbon footprint. Of course, there is always room for improvement. 
and this is the decade of action. But the very fact that, you know, utilities are partnering with small entrepreneurial companies is, a, in my opinion, a very positive uh, signal. Which actually brings me to my next, you know, something that I'm very curious to understand. You already said this, you're headquartered in Singapore. Uh, you have customers in across the ASEAN region, in India, you're looking at the Middle East. If you could tell us a little bit of, you know, where your major customer base is. Is it in Singapore or is it in the ASEAN region? As we are a Singapore-based company, of course, our uh, main customer segment is coming from Singapore. But one and a half years ago, we started expanding rapidly uh, into Asia-Pacific countries. We got quite a large customer base in India for renewable asset management. And we're slowly building up a customer portfolio in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Thailand. Um, and just recently, we started expanding outside of Asia-Pacific, where we, as I said, we, we started working with some customers in Middle East, in, in Turkey, and in United Arab Emirates. So yeah, at the moment, the main customer segment is concentrated in Asia-Pacific countries, but our solution is agnostic to any markets. We are cloud-based solution, which can be applicable to industries across the world. So the target end target is, of course, to scale our solution worldwide. Wonderful. You know, would you like to give us some insights into during the pandemic or as we emerge out of the pandemic, what are the customer trends that you're seeing across these regions? Yeah, sure. Pandemic affected a lot of companies in some ways, but most of the companies were affected not in the best way. And people started to look for additional ways of saving their operational costs. And one of the operational costs is, of course, energy consumption. And for companies which are in a commercial industrial sector, factories, building owners, offices, started to pay attention to their energy consumption, started to look into the solutions that doesn't require a lot of manpower on the ground, that doesn't require day-to-day -day eye on in order to be taken care of, and that can provide additional savings on their current services. And that's exactly what we do. Started offering our solutions to the companies that, you know, a few years back were not even interested in energy management solutions. And because of the additional savings that our uh, solution provides, it basically attracted their interest. And we see the trend of more and more people starting to care about their energy consumption and looking for the ways to save their energy usage. Right. This is obviously, again, a very welcome trend because Singapore had uh, very strict rules of getting in and out. Has it been difficult to reach out to customers in the Asia Pacific region to the Middle East? Yes, definitely. It was not easy. It's always difficult when it all goes virtual. But of course, we are living in the 21st century where, you know, there are a lot of digital solutions like, you know, online conference calls where you, you almost feel like you know the person, even though you have never met them. A lot of companies were welcome to, to jump on call and discuss all these possible solutions. And of course, we even closed a few deals where we didn't even see customer. On a few discussions over the call, we showcased our value proposition of our solution. We showcased the demo of our solution. And then we just installed and integrated in, on their site. So in some ways, of course, restrictions on the traveling affected our sales but it also opened new doors for us. Amazing to think that, you know, you could actually get a customer to sign in the dotted line without ever meeting, right? It's just not possible, you know, two years back. Yeah. You know, I must say that we started the podcast during the pandemic because this is a great way to, you know, meet people like you. 
and talk to people like you. And I think everybody is willing to have conversations with uh, people millions of miles away. You're based in Singapore and obviously you have established a very strong base of investors and partners in Singapore, right? Could you tell us a little bit about uh, how being in Singapore has helped you get your investors, who the key players of the ecosystem are and how have they worked with you? Yes, sure. As you know, Singapore is always one or two steps ahead of all other countries in terms of the technological development, in terms of the new initiatives, and of course, in terms of the government support for those initiatives. We are headquartered in Singapore. So back in 2000, late 2017, I met my co-founder, Jayad Tika, during this acceleration program called Entrepreneur First, which is supported by the SG Innovate which is Singapore-based fund that supports and provides uh, open-ups doors for deep tech startups. So we started Resync in the late 2017. We got invested by SG Innovate and we went into development of our MVP to showcase the value proposition that we would like to bring to our customers. Once we did that, we went and you know reached out to local investors and funds and managed to raise our seed round with August 1. It's a local uh, venture fund. Uh, using that funds, we, of course, expanded our team, brought our solution to the commercial level, and started on board our first customers. And just recently, six months ago, we raised our Series A funding from GGV Capital, which is a global venture firm, which helped us to scale our solution to the next level and, of course, to outreach to more potential customer base. So that's in terms of the funding and in terms of the investors. But behind the curtains, we have a lot of local organizations like Sustainable Energy Association of Singapore, like Enterprise Singapore, like SG Innovate, who are continuously helping us to, they support the ecosystem, which enables the local or young companies and startups to feel themselves comfortable. So they provide support in terms of the manpower sourcing. They provide support in terms of the mentorship. They provide support in terms of linking and bridging the gap between young startups and large corporates. They provide support in terms of the grants and fundings, which is a great initiative, I would say, by those organizations because that builds up the ecosystem and opens up uh, a lot of opportunities for the young companies. But saying that there are a lot of research uh, groups like, for example, Ecolabs, part of the Area and Energy Research Institute of Singapore, or Solar Energy Research Institute at, uh, of Singapore, which is Ceres, they are also partners. They're partnering with uh, younger startups. They're helping to boost up the R&D development and, of course, to add value into, in the products that we are developing. So I would say Singapore has a perfect ecosystem you know, in all ways, in terms of R&D, terms of adoption of the technology and in terms of the funding. Right. And then also in terms of the green goals that it has set for itself, which allows the creation of a market for companies like yourself. But before we end, I guess I should ask you one question. Is there any other final thing that you want to tell our audience? It's really nice. Frankly, I would like to highlight that it's really nice to see that, you know, people like you, Sanjoy, that enthusiasts in the climate changes, in, in the green technologies, doing this type of podcast. And there are people who are listening to this type of podcast and get educated about what are the latest technologies, what are the trends that are basically getting adopted now in the markets, and what can be done in order to provide energy savings to ensure reduction of the carbon footprint, which eventually saves our planet, right? And it's really, really great to see 
more and more renewable energy companies, more and more technology companies that are helping com- other companies to save their carbon footprint. That's kind of motivates us as well on a day-to-day basis that people who care and um, there will always be people who can uh, provide the solution for those who care. What a lovely thing to say. And I really thank you for saying what you said about not only the community, but also myself. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Really appreciate it.